All right, soccer freaks. This is ATL on Fire, the podcast. We're going to be talking all things Atlanta United Football Club. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Alright everybody, welcome back to another ATL on Fire, the show where we talk all things Atlanta United. It's been a little while, Dave, but we are here to whimper off the season <laughs> with uh, some talk about Atlanta United's exit from the MLS playoffs, which have wrapped up. But we... It took us a little while to get over it, dear podcast listeners, but we're man enough, big enough to, uh, you know, to, to see it through. Yeah, exactly. And... Uh, we, to see it through, uh, you've brought a, a lovely red wine, as always, and, and much appreciated. What are we drinking here? It's an Italian blend from Tuscany, but I don't actually know that much more about it. Rosa di Toscana. Mm. It is excellent. In 2016, so you're treating me well. Yeah. And we were just saying, I don't know if anybody out there knows the difference between a Tuscan and a super Tuscan Mm-hmm. We're, we're here for comments, um, but nonetheless, this is it's uh, it's very full body, right? My dad think? listens to the podcast. I'm oh, sure good. he knows. <laughs> Mr. Katz, please educate <laughs> us. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, a tough, a tough, um, disappointing end to a very uh, roller coaster 2001 season. Wait, we lost in the playoffs. We did. Oh, okay, two nothing <laughs> against. Uh, New York on their miniature uh, 77 field. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think. Uh, you I know, th- in in youth soccer now, U.S. soccer has mandated a play out line where you, when there's a goal kick or something, everybody has to be behind that line because the field's so small. Yeah. You can't, you know, they oh, might yeah. want to think about painting one of those in New York, a play out line. If you're listening, New York City SC fans, we're advocating for yeah. a playout line. I mean, it really is a little ridiculous. So I think that the commentators are talking about like their home record. I want to say they said something like, oh, their home record is like 70 and 6. Yep. I'm no statistician, or I've, but I have read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Yep. And I'm just going <laughs> to say, like, I don't know if sumo wrestlers cheat, but it feels like <laughs> there's, a, there's a disproportionate advantage yes. that they must have with their home field. Well, considering MLS is a very – it's a, a league of tremendous parity. Like, the, the league winners are not that far above 500 every year, the best team. So to have that kind of a record at Yankee Stadium means that there's something to miss. Yeah, there's something to miss. And and really, I, I it might be FIFA approved, but I think it's there is something amiss with it being, I think, maybe MLS regulation approved. I don't know. It's, yeah, MLS has, has requirements, and this field doesn't meet it, but they've made an exception for yeah. – well, it's clearly an advantage, but I, that is not the reason that Atlanta United lost the game. Well, to be fair, we talked about it over and over that, um, you know, under Pineda, you had, they, they obviously had a great resurgence compared to where we were yeah. when Heinz had left. But um, there were moments across the, the last third of the season 
where we dropped obvious points. And I'm going to bring up a key one. For example, when we were playing New York City at ho FC at home, we dominated the whole game. We're leading one nothing the whole game. Sadik comes off as a, as a sub, and he makes a stupid foul outside our box very late in the last few minutes, maybe an extra time. And they score on the ensuing free kick, make it 1-1. If that goal doesn't get scored, we play at home. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of moments like that in the season that were really tough during the Heinze era where it felt like we could have won a lot of those first seven or eight games and they didn't go our way. But I would argue at least, you know, okay, you got to banish Heinze moments. And if you're Pineda, you feel hard done by because you're like, look, we would have built up some kind of cushion. You know, if he had been the coach the whole season, he would argue. That being said... Like in that first New York City FC game at home where we dominated the whole game, we've got to be able to score the second goal so that that never happens. So looking back at 2001, what what are the moments that stand out the most, whether good or bad, for you? Like what, what do you remember? What do you like feel to just whatever comes to the top of your head? Like what, what are you thinking about Atlanta United when you look back at 2021? Well, the interesting, you know, I mean, obviously the, the Heinz's start to the season um, was everything, right? Yeah, and I was really hopeful. I really liked the way that um, Heinz had them matching up up the field. Um, but it just kept seeming like, um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but it seems like, you know, we were just lethargic. And, you know, after those early couple games where we had a lot of energy, we just didn't capitalize it. And obviously we didn't have, you know, Martinez was not, you know, ready to go or anything. Um, we didn't have Araujo like we did the second half. But, um, you know, in retrospect, and then we find out that they were training six times a day every yeah. day. You're like, oh, okay, showed. Yeah. So I think that that that's a, a lesson, right? And what was your, if you had to pick a goal, I think there's a few that stand out to me. Uh, what was your favorite goal by an Atlanta United player this season? You know, I love team goals, and I was trying to find figure out, you know, did, we didn't really score too many team goals. Yeah, there were. Um, I really love the goal. I can't even remember which game it was in, but the Moreno, um, very late, dribbling by himself, um, and how he got the ball to go back across his body was just ridiculous. Do you remember this goal? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so that's probably my favorite goal. I mean, you also have to point out what's going to be probably the MLS goal of the season if they haven't already decided on that. Um, you know, Joseph Martinez with the ball is straight up and down, you know, coming down yeah. from 15 yards. We up, talked about that in the last And he volleyed podcast. it over. I mean, Phenomenal. that's a stunning goal. Yeah. What about you? Um, two stand out for me. One was the, the Barco free kick where it was like 25 yards out off of the, the left side. And he finally just hit a cracker into the top left. That wasn't the bark. This was not the Barcolazo one that had the mm -hmm. deflection where he also yep. ripped it off of a, a, a deflection of a, off of his free kick, which is a great one. This was the one who was just straight up. He finally, all the training ground time where he's obviously been spending a lot of time practicing free kicks mm -hmm. paid off mm -hmm. where he had the power. It was from, you know, 20, 25 yards out and he hit it near post. I think it was against Cincinnati. Yeah. I think kind of in the September time frame. Um, we played them three times, so it's hard. That to one, <laughs> that was one of my favorites. And the other one was the Araujo 
where he turned and burned like three players. Oh, yeah. That was that was pretty special. That was the welcome party for Arejo. How he dribbled by someone to the right with his left foot is is unfathomable yeah. to me. <laughs> it just shows you <laughs> yeah. how strong and fast he is. He was dribbling on the left foot, which means the ball was to the defender's side, right? It was like there to be taken, and the guy still couldn't get a touch on the ball. Yeah. I mean, it was so crazy. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the ones that, that, that stands out. But, Dave, do you know what that I have in my pocket? Uh-oh. not what you're expecting. Oh, my goodness. It's ATL on Fire trivia. Oh, my goodness. It's an abbreviated version. We didn't talk about this, but I'm bringing I'm bra- <laughs> I had no idea, yeah. dear podcast listeners. Yeah. Going to go over. I couldn't come up with 10 questions, but I think this uh, rapid fire for you will uh, help look back at the 2021 season. Oh, jeez. And uh, see if you can answer these. Which player had the most games played in 2021 out of all the players on the roster which player had the most games played they were either um, put in the game you know you want to say and, robinson and but robinson had a couple of the you know international um uh you might say brooks lannon but he doesn't whatever i'm actually gonna go with antoine walks you are correct sir well done. <laughs> so he uh, had 33 games played, and he started 32. Okay. And so I don't know if that 33rd is like the playoff game or – because, no, he didn't start or did he even get subbed in. Anyway, I think that's regular season. But um, what player had the most tackles? What player had the most tackles? I think um, you'll, I think you're going to get this right. Well – you know, earlier in the season, they were talking about Atlanta United led the tackles, and then um, Robinson led the league in duels won. I'm gonna have to say Robinson. You are incorrect. Oh, it's uh, it's your it's your Is man it Sosa. Sosa. He had 39, yeah. 39 okay. but he I was only, gonna say the op- the other one would be Sosa. And that was only he only played twenty five games, so he yeah. was he was out. You know, more than we would want have wanted. All right. <laughs> Kubo I guess T- I was referring to duels one yeah. rather than tackles. Kubo Torres played <laughs> 20 games. Oh, did he really? 621 minutes on oh, the field. God. How many goals did he score? It's got to be zero. <laughs> that is correct. Zero goals. <laughs> I don't think he scored. Yeah. I just I had, to, I had to get that dig in there yeah. for all you Torres people. That yeah. is unacceptable. <laughs> I could have done better. That's yeah. a fact. Oh, God bless. God bless. And he always came on late, so all the defenders yeah. were tired. Doesn't matter how slow. great of a guy he is. Yeah. Sorry, that's unacceptable statistics. Mm-hmm. Time to retire. This player had the most assists for Atlanta United in 2021. The most assists. Which match his number. I mean, it's obviously um, Moreno or Barco, but um, you didn't get my obvious giveaway there. Which match his number? Well, Barco and Moreno are like, what, 10 and 11? I guess that is that too many assists for one player? Is it Bello coming forward? It's Barco, number eight, who had eight assists. Ah. Ah. Aha. <laughs> I w- you didn't let me guess. I was going to go with Barco. I know. I'm, I'm going to give it to you. I felt like you're going that way, but you didn't take my clues. I was giving yeah, you Yeah, I didn't answer. get the clue at all. all right. <laughs> it's because you were in deep thought. Uh. All 
All right, so this player suffered the most fouls for Atlanta United. Oh, that's Barco. That's, it's the most fouled player in the league. I would have thought so as well, but you're incorrect. According to the Atlanta United statistics on their website, it's Marcelina Moreno with 104. Suffer, I thought Barco fouls. was the most fouled player in the league. I thought that too. Like so, I uh, was controversial. That's it's controversial, but actually, like <laughs> I can it, on it, the but... stats, like Barco is in the 80s and Marcelino Moreno is in, in at 104. Huh. Now, like yellow card type of fouls, sure, I think but... Barco would have led led that, but Marcelino Moreno always is getting taken down, so not surprising. So there's ATL on fire. He must trivia, have been people. fouled 30 times in the New York City FC game. Yeah. <laughs> and that brought him up. I felt like we were overdue on that, right? Wow, yeah. yeah. That was uh, surprising, Mikey Dobbs. I so, like it, though. So now let's let's move to our one and only playoff game that we had against New York FC. Right. Up in New York in Yankee Stadium in their miniature right. field. Um, you know, I am happy that you have great notes on this game. I watched it and felt pretty good at the end of the first half, mm-hmm. even knowing um, we didn't have a ton of chances. I felt like we had good possession. Uh, we made some expected errors and gave them some opportunities, but I felt like we were in the game and trying to figure out the puzzle, trying to work our way into a game that was away in the playoffs. And I felt optimistic going into the second half. And I should not have been optimistic. <laughs> it was like we never left the locker room. And our True. two stars that you would expect to step up in that situation literally went invisible. Joseph Martinez and Araujo. I can't say anything positive, really. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a little bit from Martinez in a couple moments, but Araujo yeah, really disappeared. So I was very disappointed. Uh, and, yeah, we right out of the gates gave up a goal and then gave up another one in the 70th minute or something like that. So it, it was, was before a, that even. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough it was a tough watch. Um, and, and it just felt like we just did not care. I, I, I felt like some players cared. You saw it with, you know, Alan Franco, even though we'll talk about that, getting a red card in the, in the, the final minutes. But you can kind of see who had passion and, and who didn't in that According game. According to my notes, the second goal was at 51-50. Okay. So we gave up two goals in the yeah. first seven minutes of the second half. Um, what I would say, so first of all, you know, if you think about a month prior where we just bossed New York City FC at home, right? This is the whole difference. Their home team, you know, they know how to play on that field. Yeah. And there's two things that I note about how they know how to play on that field, right? So first of all, they have great spacing in the midfield, right? They're, they're center of the park players. They don't run too far up. They don't run too far back. So they always have really good spacing, Um you know, it's funny because you want to play with a dynamic and Atlanta United players, you know, Barco, Araujo, Moreno tend to run off the play, but it doesn't work in this kind of field because it's so small. There's not a lot of space to run into. So you have to maintain 
really good spacing in between the front line and the back line of your midfielders. And one of the things that New York does is they do that at home. Um, it doesn't help you on the road because then you, when you keep that spacing so well, you lose the dynamic and then you get in a bigger field and then suddenly you don't have a dynamic anymore. You know, that New York City FC game at, at, at the Benz, they didn't look like they could score on us for nothing. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing about um, New York City FC. Is there a bunch of Yankees? No. <laughs> what I was going to say is the other thing that they really, really do well, and they know on this field, is they do really good job collapsing back to the top of the 18. You so quickly yeah. can get to the top of the 18 and get shots off on this field. They really collapse it so many times when we got to the top of the box. They had eight players within uh, a 20-yard you know, box. Yeah, and when we get to some of the the YouTube stuff, if, if you're a YouTube watcher, we'll, we'll show a little bit of that in one of these replays coming up. They just had a wall of people at the top of the 18 covering us when we were moving the ball uh, around. Right. Very difficult to break down. So, and before we get to those plays, I was going to talk about two plays for Atlanta United that I think sum up what's going on. So, first of all, you want to tell people the formation that we played in or the lineup? Yeah, so we, we finally played... Uh, a four three three, however you want to call that, that's the traditional way to to, to say where we started. I feel like it was slightly more four two three one, right? That uh, that feels fair. Yeah, and because it's it's the back four. They finally went to the back four. They played Sosa and Rosetto in front of them. Then the three dynamic Araujo, Barco, Moreno, and Martinez is the only one right. on top. And and people. Say the four three three is the traditional way of saying that. Now it's in modern football. What you're saying is the way that they tweak it to yeah. to make it work for the the players that you have. Yeah, four two three one. Yeah. Um. But you know we've been calling for it the whole time. You know not to play five in the back, and they did in the playoffs. Um. So that you know Pineda was not stubborn enough. What I have to say is that. Is too little too late in that, A, if we had played that a little bit earlier, we would have had the playoff game at home. And, B, if we had played that a little bit earlier, I think maybe even in a way we would have looked a little more comfortable playing it. So for the naysayers out there, Dave, yep. who would have said, I would have rather played five in the back. Yep. Do you think that in hindsight that would have been the move? Well, it's interesting, you know, um, four is clearly our better formation for yeah. this team. But that being said, in this bandbox, tiny little field, you know, um, you'll recall when we went there and won under Tata is the only time he ever played five at the back, mm. right? And so... Um, Look at your memory. Look at the big brain on Brad. <laughs> so, so, you know, I actually... I, and maybe even we mentioned this on a previous podcast. I'm not sure. Um you know, there was something to be said about not changing it for this particular field, even though it's not best for us as a team. Yeah. And by the way, that's a Pulp Fiction reference <laughs> yeah. for everybody trying to catch up with me. Right. Um, all right. So uh, what do you want to talk about through the first half from the kickoff through through the first half? You want to break down what, what you saw during the well, I want to talk about, we'll go get to the clips that we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, but um, the ones that are not in the clips, so we're going to show some clips on the YouTube for the people who are watching as well as listening. Um, but things that are not on the clips that we can't show. Um, 
there was a contrast. So when you're playing four in the back, then what I have said is that we can still have a dynamic, right, with Lennon or Hernandez getting forward on the right and Bello getting forward on the left. And the nice thing is if 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 there's not five in the back and they don't feel like they have the freedom to just bomb forward no matter what what happens when we get the ball, then it creates more of a dynamic because they pick their moments. And and I really thought, actually, that we were much more dynamic. There were a couple of runs that Lennon made. One time we used him. One time we didn't. Um, it was really dynamic. Um, but there were two plays that really show their difference. One was on the left and one was on the right. And the play on the left that I, that I was going to talk about, I'll describe the situation. So Moreno gets the ball on, on the left side, way in the attacking third, um, not too far outside of New York City's 18-yard uh, box. Bello has already gotten there so early that he's just standing there. And Moreno starts dribbling. He beats his guy. And then he slows down because he's literally running up the backside of Bello. And Bello's sitting there like, where am I going to go? Because he has nowhere to go. So Bello just eventually looks at Moreno. Moreno looks at Bello. And then Bello runs forward. And Moreno sort of follows him, almost like you would follow your lead block going into the line in football, yeah. right? And, a full and, back, full back uh, Bella. Yeah, exactly. And it just shows you the lack of dynamicism, dyna dynamics, um, that you get when the, the fullback is up too early. He literally got in the way of Moreno. And you contrast that to a play down the right side where Lennon was a little bit late and was trying to get there and was just bombing there. And the dynamic was so great because we had time to see it. It was on, and it led to him having an absolute free cross. And how many times do you remember... Lennon being up with the ball, having an opportunity to cross, but he was sort of stationary. Nobody else was running because nobody knows the timing of it. He gets the ball up there, and he's just making three, four moves to try to get a cross off. Nobody knows, is he crossing now? Is he crossing after the second cutback, the third cutback? And in this case, when you're making the run when it's dynamic, not only is it much easier to get open for a cross, but you actually, the other players know when the cross is coming. Yeah. And that makes all the difference. So next year, um, I think, you know, that's the key, is the yeah. dynamic, and, and, and I hope Pineda can see that. All right. What next? Well, I say let, you know, as uh, was it Chris Berman used to say in the old sports center? Chris day. Berman. He said, let's go to the clip. Let's, let's go, go to the, the videotape. So <laughs> what What minute do you want me to go to in this uh All right. This um, it's at the one-minute mark on the YouTube highlights. So just uh, um, to set the play for you. Um, first of all, I would say in the lead-up to this, which is not in this clip at all, there is a play that I wanted to talk about where um, New York City FC um, is in a real dangerous spot at the top of the box. Sosa has dropped where he's actually in a line with the back two, Franco and Robinson. So in many ways, it, it's exactly a three-man back line that we've been playing the whole time with three center backs. But the New York City FC player cuts across the middle. 
And how many times on this podcast this year have you heard us talk about the problem with the back three is nobody knows who's, who is supposed to step and it takes too long. They never step and the guy gets the shot off or the play or whatever. And just prior to this clip, what happens is that the guy's coming across just like in all those other plays, but Sosa's a midfielder. Right, whereas Franco and Robinson are center backs, and it was so obvious that they knew, they all knew that Sosa was the one who's supposed to step yeah. up. He steps up immediately. They never get a shot or a pass off, and it's completely closed right. down. So that's one of the advantages to the four in the back is that people kind of understand what space they need to eat up. Right. Yeah. So and, then, and, or, and who they need to mark and close down. So then, thirty seconds later. Um, what you're going to see on this clip. Um, so Maxi uh, uh, Morales is at the top of the you know, 30 yards. He's trying to send a ball. He, he does send a ball into the box. It's pretty aimless. Uh, Atlanta United has one, two, three, four, five, six players back um, compared to only four attackers for New York FC. It's a pretty innocuous situa situation. We have it well defended. But what you're going to see here for those on the podcast, Morales is right sort of in the middle of the field. He plays the ball. Atlanta United clear it out, right? Um, and in the process, he makes a run from 30 yards out. And Bello, who is on the left back, he's the guy. He's going to run ab about 15, 20 yards right in front of Bello. Bello never sees him. Bello has nobody else to mark. And... Morales runs right onto the ball in our box. I mean, it's the epitome of not being alert to the danger. Uh, epitome of ball watching. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a he's got a guy that he's supposed to be marking on his left shoulder. And if you all want to watch the YouTube video highlights on YouTube, it's at minute 104. Bello literally does not uh, recognize the guy he's supposed to be marking. So here it is. Slowly develops. Now, to be fair, oh no, this that was a little different. No, that was a little different, right? Oh. That, was, that wasn't Bellows, Bellows issue there, was it? I'm, yes, I'm it thinking. was absolutely yeah. Bellows issue, right? Because Morales makes a run from thirty yards. He's not Bellows guy. He's a center midfielder guy, yeah. right? But in this system, nobody is asking the center midfielder to track that run. Right, somebody has to realize that there's a run and be aware of it. And of course, Morales is famous for his late runs yeah. into the box, so you have to be aware of that. And Bello is just absolutely ball watching. He's got no responsibility because yeah. his guy never there moves. Right there, right, and he never comes over to be alert to the danger. The ball falls right to Morales, and if Morales was three years younger, he's now like thirty-five or whatever, thirty-six. Yeah. Three years younger, he first times it for a goal. He just tries to take an extra touch and be cute, right, and he right. gets caught. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this clip, how relaxed Bello is and not seeing him run through the center of the box there. Yep, yeah. that's it. All right, what next? Um, so, you know, as far as the, the run of the play, I mean, New York City FC opened up on the really on the front foot. I thought after the first five minutes, we really got a hold of the game, and we were the better team. Didn't really yeah. have too many chances, but we were the better team for most of the first half. And then it was really only until the last 10 minutes that New York City really took control again. Um, and I think the play that I want to go to is um, at 2.04 on the YouTube highlights. 
It's the the very last play of the first half. There's a corner kick. And one of the things, so um, Castellanos, the Argentinian, he was the MLS player of the year, the leading scorer for New York City FC, right? And um, one of the things I went back and looked at after, after you'll see in a minute is that he has this real natural tendency that when there's a ball served in, he kind of lays off. Sometimes he drops a little bit back towards the penalty spot. Sometimes he drops a little bit back wide. But, you know, a lot of classic strikers dart across the box, and he tends to let everybody go to the ball, and he hangs back. And you'll see that in this corner kick, we are playing a zonal marking, right? Nobody is responsible, per se, for marking Castellanos. So it ends up with Bello being 2v1. There's a cross across the box. Castellano peels back towards the penalty spot. And they leave the reigning MVP, MLS Player of the Year, leading scorer in the MLS, wide open. Well, I mean, just looking at this freeze frame for the YouTube watchers, he's the nearest player in the bottom right of the screen here. And you can, no one's even marking him here. Nobody is, uh, no one is taking care of this guy who is the Joseph Martinez of their team. So one of the things that's interesting before you play the clip is that, you know, New York city FC wins a lot at home. They score a lot of goals on free kicks at home. There's a lot of free kicks because it's tight. People can get tackles in. It's a small field. So most free kicks are in a dangerous spot, right? So everybody knew coming into this game that it was likely to come down to free kicks. Pineda talked about how it was likely to come down to free kicks and they had trained it or whatever. Um, how you could come up with a zonal marking system that doesn't account at all for anybody being responsible for Castellanos is beyond me. Should I hit play? Play. Here we go. Peels off, heads it. Not too threatening. Yeah, very not threatening. They don't score on that play at all, but how is he that wide open? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the issue. It should have been warning sign, warning sign, warning sign, because, um, you know, if uh, you go to the second half, right, um, you'll see in the first uh, goal in, on the clip, it's exactly the same thing that happens on the goal. Castellanos, uh, there's a corner kick. Uh, New York City plays short, which is a little cheeky. They play back to the, the the guy who took the corner kick for a cross. All Castellano does is sort of stop and peel off, you know, a little bit to the back post, and he is wide open. I, I mean, mean, he has a whole side of the six-yard box to himself. To, to be honest, you say he peels off. <laughs> I don't even know that he peeled off. He just was was unmarked. Yeah. I mean, literally, let, let's go to it here for the YouTube watchers. The, the the unmarked nature of him in this play. Hold on, what where do I have that in the? Uh, it's the next one. You get to the corner. Has to be the next play here. Yeah. After they uh, they play it wide here. You gotta keep it going. Yeah. Here it is. All right. You got it. Yeah. Here it is. So they play short corner. Yep. Right. And Atlanta United has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players in the box, and they are 
all on the ball side, meaning they are all, if you draw a line from the penalty spot straight through the center of the goal, you know, half the field, left and right side of the field, every single one of the Atlanta United players is on the side of the field where the corner is being taken. And all Castellanos does is drift to the other side, and he's wide open. Here we go. YouTube watchers, yeah, he does drift. Awkward shot that he mishits. Gets it on the bottom part of his side, his side volley boot. Hits it into the ground. Takes a huge bounce about, I don't know, 20 feet in the air. Right in the, the far before post. Before you play it, or yeah, you play it again, um, just before that, you'll see that not only when he's making the volley, not only is he wide open, but then everybody, because nobody was responsible for coming him, everybody blitzes across the penalty spot to try and go track him. And if he mishits it at all back to the middle of the goal, everybody in New York City FC is wide open. Freeze it. Right? Yeah. Everybody on New York City FC, one, two, three, four, could yeah, have scored just, on the back there's, post. There's Bello with, with big eyes staring it down as it goes in the far post, but there are four players surrounding George and, Bello. And if you look at the Atlanta United players night now, one, two, three, four of them who are absolutely – Nobody's within three yards uh, goal side of any New York City F player, New York City FC player. I mean, that is the definition of shambolic set piece marking. Yep. Yep. Look at this, people. Dave, anything else to say? We're going to move on. Well, I bring back up, I think I talked about it at some point in the podcast. Um, you know, Benitez, you know, the old, uh, it was the Liverpool coach and he's been around a lot of different teams. But, um, you know, he was asked when he was the Liverpool coach, you know, about his zonal marking off of defensively off corners. And he said, oh, zonal marking is much, you know, the most superior. And he talked about it for five minutes. And then the, the, the reporter said, but you've given up the highest percentage of goals off of corner kicks of any team in the Premier League. And he thought about it for a second. He said, oh, yeah, but the zonal marking is so high yes. to that or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, no, no money ball back then. Oh, my goodness. So I think I need a, a refill on wine if I'm going to keep talking about this playoff game. Right, and I, I should mention as we're taking this you know, pause to do that, uh, hopefully you all can hear that the fire is crackling behind oh, us. It feels good. Feels good to actually have a fire with global warming. It's only Wednesday, but it's been a long week, and it does feel. Nice. You know, we might have to rename the podcast something like, you know, air conditioned ATL mm. or something, because with global warming, we're never going to be able to have a fire during MLS season. I know. <laughs> All right, we're we're heading in. We just started the second half. Right out of the gates, we get scored on. Dagger. Didn't feel like we left the locker room at this point. Pe some people are still in the locker room. Yeah. Araujo um, particularly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't good. And actually, you know, in the build-up to the second goal, um, there's a moment where um, first Lennon and then Bello are so tucked in unnecessarily, um, which means they can't get out to defend and win back possession. Um and it means that New York City FC can play, you know, so much for for so much longer in our end without anybody having any chance to challenge. Yeah. So. So they didn't. It didn't take them long to get their second goal either. No. Right? <laughs> no. So they, well, 
That was in the 48th minute they scored, right? Uh, yes. The second goal is at 51-50. No, the, the first goal is 48. The right. second was 50. 51-50. Okay. And um, on this corner kick. It's only three or four minutes later they yes. scored. Oh, wow. On this corner kick, you know, as you'll pull up the click, clip I'll, I'll describe it for the viewers before or not on youtube what what minute do i want to go to here um it should be just the next one i don't actually um but you'll while you pull it up i'll describe it to um so there's a, a a corner kick and um maxi morales does a weird thing right he goes right to the very corner of the 18. That's the top um, corner of the 18, which is a weird place to stand on a corner, right? Because, you know, the ball's never going to go there, right? Um, so it is very clear that he is doing some kind of a design free kick play, right? And it's actually interesting. You can't see it on the highlight clip, but if I went back and looked at it at the game, so... Martinez on our corners plays uh, defensively as the front guy, you know, in front of their zonal marking. He's the guy who's, you know, the first, you know, line of defense to clear the ball. And he's standing there talking to Moreno um, and probably one other player. I think it, maybe it's Franco. And all three of them are pointing at Morales, like, wait a second, what's he doing up there? And they're all trying to decide. It's so crazy. This is their system, right? They're all trying to decide, do I leave the sonal marking system that I've been taught, right, that we have to play, or do I go out there and defend Morales? The, right? ob the obvious one-on-one -on -one mis mismatch. Well, yeah, so, so right, he's right? one of the best players in the league for years, and he's one of their leading scorers, and clearly he's being... Everybody could tell that he was there for a reason, that he was it was a weird place to be standing. They're all pointing to them. And in the end, what they decide is they wave to Barco and they say, hey, you come back and mark him. Okay. And, and Barco comes back and fakes the whole well, thing. Well, he comes back he, and he, he stands next to he them. He fakes it. He fakes and it. And then as soon as the ball is played. Because he shouldn't have been, to, to Barco's credit, shouldn't have been the one defending him, but... Right. When he came back, he he made the illusion that he was going to mark him. <laughs> so as soon and as the ball is played, they, the set pace, the way that works is they play short. There's a guy coming, you know, right to the guy who's taking the corner kick. And his job is to draw people in and lay it back to Morales for a shot. That's their, that's their set play, right? As soon as they play short, right... Barco is like, oh, they played the corner. I'm going off for a counterattack. He takes off to go up the field and leaves Morales yeah. wide open. And so here it is. Here's the guy taking the corner. He sees Morales, what, 20 yards right in front of him and just drops it back to him. Barco comes back, pretends to mark him, and then runs up the field. And uh, the rest is history. Near post shot off the bar. Header, yeah, I mean, header into Guzan's going to make a terrific save. Yeah, he does get it a goes hand. off the crossbar. He gets a hand on this, doesn't he? Yeah, he he makes a phenomenal save. It goes off the crossbar, and then we give up. You know, the ensuing play. And again, you think zonal marking. Nobody, you know, somebody could have gotten there and been first and cleared it out off of the off of the crossbar. But I don't really blame him that much. I mean, the key part of this play is you gave Morales a wide open shot from about fifteen yards. Yeah. So here it is for the YouTube watchers. Corner kick, plays it back to him. Barco, at this point, just runs up the field. Great crack, near post. 
good hand from Goose, but off the bar. And again, you know, on both of the corner kicks that they scored on, after they left the, the most dangerous player wide open, because they have this zonal marking, once they leave the most dangerous guy, everybody sees the danger and everybody reacts to it. Like on this play, four players run out to Morales. And that's part of the reason why um, uh, Callens or whatever his name is, who scores the goal, uh, that's part of the reason why he's wide open in the six yard just to nod the header back in is because so many players went out to address Morales. So it's a double whammy. Not only did you fail to have the most guy, the most dangerous guy marked up, but then because he wasn't marked up, there's a scramble which causes everybody else to be out. And we pointed it out on the previous clip when Castellanos scored, I mean, he scored it directly. It didn't go in. But if it hadn't gone in directly, everybody was wide open because so many people were panicked that Castellanos was open. I mean, it's just shambolic. And going into this game, knowing that the most important thing was going to come down to free kicks, that's the best that we could do? That's all I got to say about it. That's all I got to say about that. (laughs) So at this point, I, Dave, honestly, I think I was starting to fall asleep during the game. It was it was a little depressing. I kind of knew it was over. At this I point. have to say, you know, just to, to add insult to injury or icing on the cake or whatever, it's not on the YouTube highlights, so we'll spare you. But at 63-25, New York City FC gets another corner kick, and it, they don't score on it. But Castellano, so Atlanta United clears the initial ball, And then it looks like New York City is going to put it back in. And Castellanos peels off and is standing for a good 10 seconds with nobody within 10 yards of him in the 18. I mean, he just scored a goal. You've just given up two goals on corner kicks and still nobody going to mark him. Mm. I mean, what that tells me is that the system was so drilled into them. That's what they were going to do in this game no matter what. Yeah. So what do you want to look at for the remainder of the second half, the last 30 minutes? Um, we don't have any clips, um, but one thing that happened, so they brought on Moreno, they brought on Jurgen Dam, and one of the things that they did that was interesting is both were brought on as wingers on um, their... They're not inverted, so they're playing Moreno, who's a left footer on the left, and Dam, who's on the a right footer on the right. Um, And Moreno gets a ball out wide and tries to take on the guy for once. And one of the things I realized, I had told you in the podcast that Moreno had stopped taking on players. The truth is he only stopped taking on players on the right side where he was not comfortable going to his right. When he came on on the left side, he was perfectly comfortable. He started going right at the guy again. So it had nothing to do with his confidence. It just had to do with him playing as an inverted winger and not. So he takes on the guy. He loses the ball. But (laughs) but here again, Dom twice takes on the guy and beats the guy. And, you know, there's a lot of people who want to ship out Jurgen Dom. Um, I think he's a flawed player. He's a little bit soft. He's all right foot. Um, 
But that being said, he always runs at the guy, and he's really fast, and he's really dangerous. And one of the things when we played with the BAM, the big four, yeah. um, one of the things that we really lacked over the second half of the season was something dynamic coming off the bench. Yeah. I think the answer is Jurgen Dam. I wouldn't get rid of him. First of all, nobody's going to take him with his salary. Yeah. But I wouldn't get rid of him anyway. He's a perfect player to come on in the last minutes. 30 minutes and yeah. cause help. He kind of reminds me of a, a MLS version of uh, my Wolves team and um, who's who's the Hulk guy. Uh, um, oh, I, I know who you're talking about, but I can't remember his name. Yeah, the, 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 the Spanish player. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, why, why am I even blanking here? Is he Spanish or Portuguese? Uh, he's Portuguese or Spanish. He might be. Might be Portuguese. Is it Sanchez? No, no, not. not, um, not he 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 crosses it to uh, anyway. Hernandez, a Mexican player, but yeah. So yep. just that that ability to get to the end line and cross the ball because he does have. He's the fastest player in FIFA, but <laughs> he, but but he can get that extra step to get to the end line, and even if a player is prepared. To know that it's happening, Jurgen Dom has proven he can get to the end line and cross the ball. And so having that as somebody who can come in in the 70th minute when the other team's fullbacks are tired uh, or defensive backs are tired can get to the end line and cross it, then you got your Joseph Martinez that should be able to finish. And that. I have to say twice in the last... 10 minutes or so, Jurgen Dom went down the wing and then he dropped it back to Lennon, who then had all day to serve a ball, which he's really good at. And he whipped in a couple of phenomenal balls with people attacking it. Yeah. Right. This is what I'm saying. Like it was so overthought to have those wingers because you're, says Lennon gets the ball out wide so many times when we have five in the back and he can't beat the guy. Right and it, it, yeah, we've talked about it enough. How do you, how do you want to wrap up the one and only playoff game from Atlanta United against NYFC? Well, I think the way to wrap it up is for those of you who are depressed about us losing. You know, you have to say with the start we got, getting into the playoffs, accomplishment. Um, you know, we were a much better team over the second half. And to be honest, as I said prior to the the game in the podcast. New York City FC is a very good team, and they showed it. They won MLS Cup. So we lost to the champions. Um, You know, unfortunately, we didn't really show up in this game and make it a tight game or whatever. Um, I think that's mostly a product of having to play there. They're basically unbeatable there, as we talked about. But um, Yeah, and I I think that's also some of the flaws we pointed out in the previous podcast of, you know, when it felt like, Pineda was setting us up to play for a tie mm-hmm. just to ensure we made it to the playoff versus, yeah. versus playing for a win to get a home right. field advantage. Right. Uh, we, we missed out on home field advantage. Pineda said over and over, um, and at Seattle this was true, that in MLS all you got to do is get in the playoffs. But here's two things. So first of all, that's been true of Seattle. That was, you know, maybe the better team that was – best team that was underachieving a little bit. The other thing that's always been true in the MLS until this year, it's always been a home and home. 
That's a totally different ball game. Then, you know, all you get for being the, the, the top seed is you get the second game at home. It's not really a huge advantage. Yeah. Well, one game in done means that it's a huge advantage. Do you still think that's the right system for the MLS, the one and done? No. Yeah, the, aggr- <laughs> the aggregate two games still feels like the right way to go. It's. I it, mean, I think the MLS brass will argue yes because some of the games, I don't know if you watched – any of the playoff games, but there were some heroic last-minute goals, yeah, um, including in the MLS final. Um, you know, Portland tied the game with four seconds to I go in extra time. <laughs> I mean, that's about as epic as it gets. But um, you know, so they'll they'll say that doesn't happen so much, you know, in the two leg. Yeah. Um, but the two leg means that the better team wins mostly. Yeah, I like the two leg system. It's just- that that's another thing with MLS as the league grows. At some point, do they switch the schedule to be on the rest of the world's? I think calendar? the teams that are hard done by in the one game one off is the team that's the number one seed. The number one seed got a buy like in both New England Revolution. I mean, they both the, on both you know sides shield, of the conference. Shield they winner, out. they they sh- they deserved a second chance. Like why? Why is a team that would in any other league be recognized as the best, the champions, right? New England mm-hmm. Revolution. Best record in MLS history. Yeah, not have an aggregate chance to redeem themselves. Well, I think actually they have a disadvantage because they're sitting around while the other team is playing, right, during the bye week. And yeah. so the other team, New York City FC, had momentum and went right in there and, you know, took it yeah. to them. Yeah, and I mean... Bruce Arena was talking about that, and it's the unfortunate flaw of the MLS and the way that our the calendar works. I mean, he's been in the league longer than anyone as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that goes to show why MLS, if they're going to start making some tough decisions, which they have to be cautious too on making the league stable. I, I don't know. I I I'm I am hoping. After the World Cup in 2022, there's going to be so much soccer fever that MLS can start shifting some things maybe a little bit more dramatically. Do you think that'll happen? I mean, you know, are you talking about the the, the season or this, the rules of the playoffs or all of the All above? of the above, like the designated player, like let's rip off the Band-Aid of only, <laughs> only having three. Because we'll get to it in a second here when we talk about moving into 2022, but even the situation we're in now with Almada coming in and Barco, we're trying to sell him, obviously. It's a disadvantage to MLS as a league in terms of our leverage to um, get the the most market value out of a player like Barco, who is ready for Europe. Um, But Mm -hmm. these teams know that Atlanta United right now has to Get rid of them. That's an interesting point. Does they it have kill? to get rid of them. Does they it, they know yeah. the news. That's why that's why you saw in the tweet from Atlanta United, like, oh, we've got we own the transfer rights for Almada, but he's not yet an Atlanta United player. It's like, all right, here are my cards. I'm just gonna put them on the table so you can see them. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And and Europe's laughing at that. They're like, we I hadn't thought about it's that. Fifty percent so, discount so on Barco. You're saying the designated player rule makes it so obvious to the whole world that Atlanta United has to unload a player. They have to, and so the transfer fee is going to be lower because people can lowball them. Sixteen million for mm-hmm. Almada. What are we going to do with Barco? We mm-hmm. either 
we're already jumping to this. We're out of the NYFC. Like, you either have to unload. The, I'm assuming this is what the front office's game is right now. You trade Barco and get a reasonable amount, maybe break even for the 14 or 12 million. I forget what we paid for him. Yeah. Um, but uh, you get that. I think that's all you're going to get is somewhat of a break even for the transfer fee mm-hmm. for him. Or we're, we're kind of screwed. What if we can't get rid of Barco? Now now we've got this Almada deal that we've agreed to, which is where I feel like they lay their cards out. Sounds like they've almost got like a pass-through. Like <laughs> maybe they will send Almada to like another team mm-hmm. and they're just a part Blowing of like a – they'll, they'll just move them on mm-hmm. if they can't get rid of Barco. I don't know. Yeah. Because that's what the tweet sounded like from Atlanta United – where they're like, oh, all these reports that we've signed Almada are not true. We have the rights to his transfer. It's funny because I think it's a lot of fans are thinking that this is Atlanta United being, you know, um, cagey and not forthright and wanting to make a big splash. But I think you're right. I think that makes a lot more sense that it's the MLS rules and they're worried about the negotiations for Barco. That makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. Um, You're awfully smart, Mikey Dobbs. I know. I wish I wish I said I read a lot, but I don't. I just <laughs> you obviously yeah. read the transfer news for Atlanta oh. United a lot. I yeah, mean. but so it's it's evidently you know a, a record breaking um, MLS signing, sixteen million, which is just a hair over the PT Martinez of like fifteen point something. Yeah, do you want to talk about Tiago Almada? Yeah, I mean, is it Almada or um, it's Almada, right? Not Almeida, Almada, right? Yeah, Almada. I. I it's Almada. I, don't know. I usually get it wrong the first time, so <laughs> I'm not going to promise I think it's Tiago Almada. That sounds right to me. It's what I've been saying. The, the acquisition is groundbreaking for the MLS to get this type of player that, in, in my opinion, if it wasn't for the pandemic, if it wasn't for the weird state of the world, mm-hmm. he would have probably be in Europe last year Yeah, because he has that type of pedigree from – all the articles that I've read and I have no clue who this kid is, right? Like I don't watch the, uh, the, the, the Argentinian leagues, but by all the trades, this, this guy is the real deal. Not, not, I mean, PT Martinez supposedly was the real deal, but this kid is four years, five years, 19, right? No, he's 20, 20, 20. So PT Martinez was brought here for 15 plus uh, basically the same transfer fee five years older. So this, this is a kid that, you know, super hungry in terms of Argentinian football is the classic next generation type of hopeful player that you're going to replace Messi. Like that's literally like the talk in Argentina that this is the guy that you're hoping is going to be the next Messi who is at the aging part of his career to take over for, the Argentina. Well, he Argentina got called up for a full cap yeah, for the Argentinian like national three weeks team, ago, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> at 19, I mean, you're the only people I can remember that have done that are Sergio Aguero and Messi. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and people are talking about him as the best player in South America 
um, the best young player. I mean, and he, I think that my worry is that he doesn't seem to be that happy to come to MLS. I think he'd much rather have gone directly to Europe. Yeah. So let's, let's talk. Well, first, before we get to that, shout out to Kunaguera, who's going to retire. Did he yeah, retire today or? He retired today. Uh, so what an incredible striker for, uh, Atletico, right? Yeah. They and, were talking and, about, so, um, Messi and, um, I mean, he dominated the EPL for two, three years. Well, just an interesting story. So Messi and uh, Cunaguero, and um, they all played together on when the Olympics was under 20. Mm-hmm. They all played as 17-year-olds on the Olympic gold medal team. They won the Olympics. <laughs> and that team, oh, my God. Um, that sounds unfair. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, so Conaguero uh, goes to Atletico Madrid at 18 right after that, and uh, he proceeds to score 20 goals a year in Syria off for four years for Atletico Madrid. And then he moves to um, the Premier League where he becomes the leading scorer every single year um, for Manchester City, um, you know, scoring almost a goal per game. Yeah. So, so yeah, back to Almada, Atlanta United fans, like, he, so I, I don't have a problem with him kind of having this ego that a lot of people are against of him wanting to play in Europe and saying he only wants to be in the MLS for one year. Because by all accounts, it sounds like he's that good. Well, now, it depends on the kind of player he is, right? So, and I, I haven't seen enough clips to know, right? Um if he is that really good, but he's a real selfish player and he's constantly trying to do it himself, then it would be bad. If he's uh, just an all-around great player and he can dribble and find people and he's just trying to show off his skills, then it helps us because he's just his passion is going to be to you know make great plays and score goals. Yeah, I don't know. I've, you can only glean so much from YouTube, but I right. think I mean I watched enough and I watched the PT Martinez highlights before he came, but. Almada seems a little bit more well-rounded, especially at 20 mm-hmm. versus 25 with PTs coming in. Like, there's a lot of upside on this kid, mm-hmm. and I, I hope MLS doesn't stunt his growth because that would be a tragedy because this kid is supposedly, you know, like a lot of these Argentinian players from a neighborhood where he didn't have the best upbringing. He's mm-hmm. super hungry. Football is his life. Mm-hmm. And... You know he's right. He you know he's ambitious, which I like. He I don't sh- think MLS be. is going to stun him. I mean, you know, if you're a attacking player, goal scorer, creator, whatever. I mean, MLS is a wide open league. The goals per game is very strong. Um, it hasn't really happened because those kinds of players have never come to MLS before. Yeah. But you get the feeling that if one of those players really comes to um mls and he could be one of those players even if like he let's say he played in premier league or syria uh, or la liga next year uh, he might be uh you know five six goal scorer and be a good you know promising player you get the feeling that with it wide open in mls that kind of player can be a 20 goal scorer plus here yeah uh, just because it's so open no i and don't get my take wrong like i'm so excited that atlanta united and mls are getting from all accounts the best youth talent out of South America. I mean, that's this guy 
is coming to Atlanta United. Right. Now, whether we seize, seize the pitch or not, I don't know if we can get rid of Barco. Like, there could be some more drama in the in the trades, um, but I'm sure they'll figure it out. Um, you know, this guy is going to light it up. I am, I, I've never felt more confident from – from well, speaking of lighting it up, maybe we should revisit, you know, one of our predictions, right? So when we were talking about Araujo midseason and we were saying that, you know, whether he's going to play inverted or not, yeah. and I said, talk to me at the end of the season if if he can come in inverted and he can score three, four goals off of bombs, you know, cutting inside, then yes. If at the end of the year he has scored zero of yeah. those, then it's a huge mistake. He's only had two of those. I'll give him two, maybe. I don't think he's had a single one. No, he's definitely had one. I remember the one he banged it off the the far post off of a off an inverted cut in. Totally. Anyway, totally. It was one at Ad, most. Admi- Ad, definitely one. If yeah. not, I don't know if you call the. Uh, the, the breakaway play, one of those two. No, where, because that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about him cutting inside and hitting it from 25 he, he towards did, the top he, of the He 18. did have one of those, yeah. Yeah. Um, one, yep. I think the answer that might, is that, that... might not be enough. To your, it's not enough, yeah. right? Because the number of times he got cut off from that, if you say, okay, put him on the left side, where he can deliver, you know, six assists for that one goal. What do you do with Bella then? Bello becomes perfect. He's the overlapping back, just like just like you saw late in this this MLS playoff game when Jurgen Dam was running at people. Then it opens up everything for the yeah. overlap. But then Barco and Moreno are also kind of that left hand. I mean, Barco can play more left or right. Well, Barco's gone. Moreno, Moreno definitely is over on that left side too. He's better. I don't know where Tiago Almada plays. So Moreno either plays through the Moreno's center. Moreno's good as an inverted winger over there, I think. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. Moreno can be on the right side. No, you want him on the left side. I want him inverted because he's uh, better inverted. I wouldn't do it. So you're not going to play him on the right side, are you? Yeah. Yeah, you are? Yeah. All right. Well, I, I Either Almada I, or well, I might play him through the middle. Moreno through yeah. well, one I, of them plays I, through I the middle. I also agree Moreno is more versatile. Like, I... He's he's one of my favorites. I think he can fit in a lot of places and be very effective. That's a good thing about Moreno. I would play Moreno on the right. I would play Araujo on the left, and presumably Thiago Almada sitting in just behind Martinez yep. with a free license to roam. I think that's what we'll see next year, maybe. I don't think so. I think he's going to play Moreno on the left and Araujo on the right is inverted. Why do coaches love inverted? Tell me. Oh. Know, you're probably right. Yeah, I... I I keep arguing with you, Dave, but I'm usually wrong when it comes down to the data. And then the key is that, um, you know, who is the answer in the center of the park? So whether it's Moreno or Almada playing as the other attacking midfielder, neither of them are going to provide tremendous defense, right? So obviously Sosa is going to be back, and he's great. And the question is... Who is the box-to-box guy that complements that? Ozetta was playing that role. He played much better. Is he the answer? Maybe. So Um, we we just went into the unprotected stage with Charlotte, the expansion team. mm -hmm. So we had to uh, 
um, protect some players and right. and make some players unprotected. Who did we protect, Mikey Dobbs? Tell them. Oh, man. Tell the dear podcast listeners. Or who did we not protect? We did not protect um, Mo Adams, Mikey Ambrose, Joshua Bauer, Jurgen Dom, Alex Dijon, Ronald Hernandez, who is on loan from Aberdeen, Alex Kahn, Eric Lopez, Ben Lundgaard, who's a keeper, um, Jake Mulraney, Amar Sadiq, and Eric Torres. Great. And uh, Torres is already gone. Alec Khan is already gone. They went real quick. They just left. And uh, wait, did I did I mention? Uh, no, you didn't mention the the one that they took. Right. We left one unprotected, and they took him. Yeah. And so that was Anton Walks. Right. I don't know. I'm reading the uh, the article from Doug Rubberson. Maybe I have my cut and paste wrong here. But, um, yeah, so they ended up taking uh, Anton Walks, which... So what's your feeling about that one? I'm okay with it. Um, I know there's a lot of Atlanta United fans who have a lot of emotion and, and respect for Anton Walks. Again, we as the ATL on trivia uh, exposed, he had... The most games of any Atlanta United player in 2021. So you have to appreciate the effort and some of the good work that Anton put in in some of those games. But as Dave and I have talked about in the podcast, I think there's some flaws in his game that at this point, I think there's other players, including George Campbell and even Hernandez in that back line that I feel comfortable seeing him move on to Charlotte and seeing how we can uh, grow some other players like George Campbell Campbell to come in and, and figure it out. Yeah, I think that's the hot take right there, that all he's doing is taking up space that should be allowed for George Campbell, right? So we have three terrific center backs, Franco, Robinson, and Campbell. Now, if Robinson ends up going, that changes things because then you're talking about... Campbell and Franco as the starting center backs, who I do think is I'm real high on on Campbell. I think he can really do it, but I'd love to see him be the third guy who's rotating in. Yeah, I mean the the small minutes that I saw of George Campbell, I was super high on. He's better than walks. I think so too. A thousand percent. So Atlanta United fans, get excited about George Campbell. Yeah, George Campbell. George Campbell, homegrown. Yeah. And a, and a Stop, baller. Take out your tissues and throw yeah. them in the trash. Trash. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> good. All right. I agree. Cheers. We agree for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and, nice. and I, and Anton Walks, amen. If you're listening to the podcast, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Yes. Some really good moments that uh, I'm proud of you on. So, uh, there we go. Charlotte gets, uh, I think they had uh, three players they snagged. Uh, from other teams, including Anton Walks. Uh, I think two of them they traded for, like, some Tam and Gam. I don't know. That's Anton Walks is not a bad pickup for a club like that. No. I mean, he's a solid player. Big time. But um, he's not great. So the other uh, other news is uh, Escobar. Right. Uh, on who loan, Escobar. Was on loan. He was traded to LAFC, I believe, for 600 and Gam. Yeah, Gam. 
Tam and Gam bucks. Tam and Gam, whatever. So we got some Gam people. I don't know what that means. They are brilliant. I have to say, you know, they're like, why do you keep doing this or whatever? And they're, they're brilliant at manipulating the Tam and Gam. I mean, sign, you know, Franco's doing nothing for us. He ain't coming back here. And getting all of that Tam and Gam was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, again. Because if he stays the fan in Mexico, base, then we get nothing. The fan base is all upset about that, too. At least the five oh, people. come on. The five people on Twitter that I've seen. Get over seen, it, people. Yeah, get over it. Um, yeah, I, he, we, we got some game. You should be super excited Actually, the that. guy who's the, the next Franco, who they won't, haven't played, is Hernandez. Yeah. Right? He's better than, than Brooks Lennon. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'd love to and see they, him stay. And they... They knew that Charlotte wasn't going to take Jurgen Dom. I think his contract's probably too expensive. Yeah, he's to way too pricey. Yeah, they're never going to take him. Nobody's going to take him. So, um, but I was just arguing that I figured it was going to be keep An- him. I figured it was going to be Anton or Jake Mulraney that Charlotte took. Yeah, Mulraney is not great a player. Yeah, I think Walks no. was a better. But for an defense. expansion team to have a guy who's got speed and just. Be a plug-in to get the team going. I don't know. That's I think you want a center back that you can rely on that never gets hurt. Yeah. It is. Yeah, be I decent. think Charlotte made a good move there. Yeah, yeah good move. Um, and we have um, Gutman, right? Is, is he this, coming back? Who is this Gutman guy? Gutman's real good. Is he's he really? real good. Um, he's, he's a myth. Who is this Gutman guy? Well, I've he, heard his name a lot. I've known they no signed him and then they loaned him to New York City FC or whatever. He was terrific. He was terrific prior to that um, at Cincinnati, and then and then he was terrific this year. And um, he's real good. He's a left-footed outside back. He's the he's the insurance policy in case Bella leaves. All right. So heading into 2022, we got Josetu, who. I felt just like Escobar, or not Escobar, sorry, not Escobar, like uh, uh, Franco made steady, slow improvement throughout the season. Yeah, he settled. He settled. He was making a lot of really good passes, connecting with people. I felt like Mm -hmm. he grew into his game a little bit. Mm -hmm. With with Hyman coming off of is an ACL surgery, right? Yes. Do you think he's going to be able to come back and, and contribute? No. I don't think so either. I, I'd like to be optimistic. I would definitely be looking to get another guy who can play in there. So who a box to box got to find someone? Yeah, who, who are we? That's our go? big need. It's our biggest need, right? Like that's yeah, it's our only need. It's our. Okay. I mean, unless we lose, you know, one of the players that yeah. we're talking about. Because yeah, Jose too is a is good, but I don't think good enough for the the issues that Atlanta United had in two thousand twenty one weren't really about the back line. I felt like we had plenty of talent in the back. We had plenty of, ta- of talent in the attacking midfield. It was that in-between uh, in front yeah, of Yeah, especially front of moments when Sosa was down and it was really bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think what a lot of other people might be screaming at the podcast right now is what about a backup for Joseph Martinez at top? So what do you think about that? Absolutely. Yeah. We need one quickly. Someone who's better than Kubo I'm Torres. not sentimental. Yes, someone that's better <laughs> than Kubo Torres. But I, you know, I think. What about Adam Jean? We can bring him back. I think into <laughs> 2022, if Tiago Almada is on the field, Joseph Martinez is going to have lost a step. But if you have a player like that with Eric Ujo and Moreno around, I mean, that's just. I mean, it should be raining. 
if you got those four players on the field, Tiago Almada, Araujo, Moreno, and Joseph Martinez. I mean, that is yeah, that is a phenomenal. Lo- that's a phenomenal, bam, wham, whatever you, whatever that acronym adds up to. But yeah, I, I, I would. I'm super excited about that. But who is one step behind Moreno? Who is that Heinemann? Josetu key player that has to secure the I was just thinking, are we now up to Mam? Right? Mar- Martinez Almeida. God Araujo and Moreno. Isn't that yeah. Mam? Yeah. <laughs> All right. We will. I don't know, but it's not I, the same, is it? I'm also a little I'm I'm a little down on Araujo after that. Oh, come on. Araujo is pure class. Uh, come on, Mikey Dobbs. Uh, Take know. a deep breath. Relax. I'm, no. You know who, who the backup to Martinez should be? <laughs> Do tell. Tongue in cheek. Do tell. How about Cristiano Ronaldo, who says he wants to come to MLS and who can really finish? I t- <laughs> that would be phenomenal. Because, I mean, he, first off, at what at what age is he? Like 37, 8? 36. 36. He would be better than Jesse Martinez, hands down. Um, and yeah, he needs to get the hell out of Manchester United, which is a dumpster fire. It's not a dumpster fire. They got a new coach. It's a dumpster fire. Anyway, <laughs> I I do believe that Rennick was it. Is it Rennick? Ring, 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 kick, ring, Rennick. Rennick. Yeah, Rennick. the he's a German coach, right? It, is, yes. is coming in there plays a lot of pressing he's the grandfather pressing of football pressing football and, and Cristiano Ronaldo proves that he's in shape enough at 36 37 to be able to I mean incredible he can play 94 minutes are you sure he's not a robot he is a robot and I I am not a Cristiano Ronaldo fan by any means I don't like because you know I don't know the guy I just judge everybody <laughs> on body, body language you uh. know what I mean so I, I misappropriately judge him by his body language. And, you know, anybody who's got a huge ego, which you have to have, is somebody who just wants goals all wants the time. Go- I mean, he's a machine. <laughs> he is a machine. He's a machine. I mean, yeah. I have a ton of respect for Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah. but yeah. he's no Lionel Messi. I'm just going to say that all no, time. No, no, no. But holy cow, a guy who you want to pick in a dodgeball session <laughs> i'll pick him any day of the week anyway we need a finisher who's yeah. a young finisher who um you know can be the um you know the the focus of the attack behind martinez now you could say look do you need it right because you say all right moreno is capable of doing that you know maybe even almada's people do that Araujo could probably do that you just rotate one of them and just don't even think about it yeah because, you know, mostly if you bring in a, a center forward, right, mostly just you're bringing him to sit on the bench because he's not going to displace Martinez mm-hmm. very much. So um, I think that's why people are hesitant to come here. Where does, uh, like, a young player like Wolf fit into that equation then? Everybody said Wolf is just minutes away from joining his father in Austin. Yeah, <laughs> probably true. <laughs> And always those players always end up with their 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 father, and it doesn't usually end up very well. No, um, but his, you know his dad. For those who are listening, is the Austin FC coach. 
Josh Wolf, yeah, former U.S. international. Tyler Wolf is uh, his son. Yeah. Josh played at University of South Carolina. They both did. Gamecock. They both did. did I did don't he? know. I don't know. Oh no 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 no! Tyler never played in college. Sorry yeah. sorry sorry. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he was yeah. a homegrown who came right from the academy. Yeah. Take it back. So, what else do you think about as we head into 2022 that is uh, important, whether it be Pineda and some changes that he is going to have to make? I think we need to talk about Pineda. Yeah. And you have to make your prediction. Does Pineda do better with a full preseason and a year to think about it? Or is the flaws that we saw early on with Pineda, you know, rear their ugly head and he continues to be that way? Well, I do like the fact that going into the playoffs against against NYFC, he went to four in the back. Yeah, that's which means, encouraging. Which it means his mind's working, you know? To And his, his halftime changes whenever he effed it up at the beginning of the game yeah. were always right. So, you know. So, I think he's thinking the right way but is he thinking fast enough and so as we go into 2022 if he can take those lessons and have a little bit more confidence to maybe trust maybe what he was a little hesitant to instill sooner than later then maybe we'll see a little bit of his confidence grow that's what i i hope um I think he's got to start acting like a head coach. I felt like yeah. he's still like, oh, I'm Rob here. Valentino did this and my assistants do that mm-hmm. and whatever. Yes. you got to be the guy. Yeah, I, so, I agree. I, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to settle. He moved midseason. He was an assistant coach, and it's hard to break that mentality. Yeah. And then sometimes you go through an offseason, and you're like, oh, now I'm the head coach. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see that. I agree. So – he obviously also had to come in being super like calming to the fan base, right. calming to the team with he did take over a dumpster fire. A dumpster fire. So But on the other hand, he did take over what I still believe is the, one most, of the most talented, talented teams team. in the MLS. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we yeah. have a loaded team. I have to say my take home, you know, who's my player of the year for Atlanta United? It's uh, Bocanegra and Eels. I mean, they have done a terrific job. I mean, after the phenom phenom that was our team under Tata, it was awful. They realized it very quickly, and they changed it in a hurry. And I I just can't get my head. Twitter is a bad place to be no matter what, whether (laughs) you want to follow sports or politics. The, the the fans that are out there that are like there's a Boca Negra out thing after the Anton walks. Uh, oh God! Come pick on, up, now. pick up from Charlotte. Like, come on now! Like you guys need to get your Heine. Right? They just don't know soccer. Uh, out of somebody else's, but I don't know. That's the wrong. Because walks is good. I mean, I mean, yeah, I think good. sometimes we give too hard of a time here. You might say that, but but he is a flawed player. Very and. Yeah, I mean, and he's gonna he's gonna have a great shift over to Charlotte and a settled Franco, which we have seen a little bit of glimpses of, but a settled Franco is a way better player 
than um, walks. And honestly, I think even George in Campbell. limited moments, I think George Campbell's a better player. Yeah. Because George Campbell has every bit the physical attributes. Um, he's big and strong and fast, which people love. I mean, that's why people love walks is because if you're only watching the ball, it looks like walks never gets beat. But walks gets beat not because anybody goes around him. It's, he gets beat because he fails to sense the danger. He's in the wrong spot, and he gets beat where he never makes a play on the ball. George Campbell, at least in limited moments, looks to me every bit as good physically, fast, big, strong, better one-on-one, -on -one, and reads the game better. Do you think um, during the transfer window here that we'll lose Miles Robinson? I, you know, I and, had assumed that he would be out, but... Um, and, and do you think that would be a good move for him personally? I think that if he can wait. So right now, if he moves, he's moving to a slightly lower class top tier team, which is actually not as bad a decision as a defender as it is as an attacker. So if you're an attacker and you go to a 16th, you know, 15th place team in La Liga or Premier League or whatever, the problem is they don't score a lot of goals. They don't see a lot of the ball. So even if you're great, you don't get to show off. Like Josh Sargent. Yeah, Josh Sargent is a perfect example. I mean, what an awful move moving to Norwich, which is never going to give him any chance to score goals. Yeah. I mean, he has no chance. Um, but as a defender, you can actually look phenomenal on a terrible team. So you can actually play for a 16th place team right. or whatever and still it's do like really well. It's like a keeper, well. too. You're making tons of saves because yeah, you're just getting yeah, hammered. Yeah, not so bad. So, yeah. so from that standpoint, you know, it's okay. Uh, I would have said, look, if he can hang on through the winner, right, then he plays in the World Cup as clearly the star defensively of the U.S. national team. Yeah. And the U.S. national team is looking really, really good. And you might say he might be able to parlay that into a, a spot that's with a better are, contract. That's what people are talking about online is that he should, he should wait it out, get his stock up even higher over the World Cup, and then make a big move. But I don't know. Like, if, if he could get on a really solid top of the table team in the EPL and a in a top ten team of the EPL or like in the Bundesliga and one of the top two teams, whether that's uh Borussia Dortmund or Bayern Munich. Like if he got it he got an offer from one of those teams, I think that would be a good move for him. There's an interesting a anything yeah, anything less I don't think would be a good move for him personally. One thing that you know, we should mention to the podcast listeners is that, so I have always argued, um, and there's a slight flaw to my argument, which I'll point out to you all. So I've always argued that the U.S. has the possibility of winning the World Cup even before we are, quote, the best team. And that is because with the MLS season being, you know, it starts in the very early spring, runs through the entire summer. When we get to a World Cup, the players are in absolute mid-season form. For the European leagues in the summer, they've come off a full season. They are exhausted. Then they have to go play a World Cup. Right, And you've seen this many, many times in World Cups. The stars don't really play that well because they've played, you know, 172 yeah. matches for Barcelona or Man United. Um, 
What's interesting, so first of all, so part of that has changed because the U.S. has many players in Europe. Right, as well. So say, that yeah. changes one thing. That's one potential flaw. The other potential flaw that I'll point out is that the World Cup draw is completely rigged against CONCACAF. Um, and I can talk about that later. But we, are, we have almost a 60% chance every time of ending up in the group of death because of the rules of not having ranked European teams or South American teams in the same group. So we always end up in a group that has one of the top teams. It's got a, uh, a quote-unquote second-tier team, which tends to be a team that's really good that had a little bit of trouble in qualifying either in South America or Europe. It's often the most dangerous. Yeah, and then we end up as the third team, and it's the group of death. Yeah. It o- almost always is. We have basically a 50-50 chance of being in the group of death every time. Um, so that's killing us. It's very hard to get out Look of Look at the group. big brain on Brad. So he's bringing the stats. But anyway, so the, the, the rules of the World Cup draw <laughs> are really rigged against us. Um, but the weird thing is this World Cup is taking place in December. So we are at Christmas here talking. We're, we're close to Christmas, the holiday season. A year from now at Christmas season, we're going to be watching World Cup matches. So as MLS finishes, weird. we're going to be watching MLS final and then going right into World Cup matches. It's going to be a dream because what else do you do at Christmas besides eat Christmas cookies yeah. and watch World Cup matches? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm a big fan of that time of year because there's a lot, you know, it's going to be great. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> um, but that is a different thing. So, for example, for Miles Robinson, getting back to our conversation. So Miles Robinson, if he chooses to play and doesn't transfer, so he would start the season in February or whenever, you know, depending on when we play, then he would run the entire season. One thing that's going to happen, which is great for MLS, usually in a World Cup year, all of the World Cup players who are in the MLS leave. So MLS becomes a sham league right in the middle of the season because they have to keep playing. They can't, they can't take a month off. This will not happen this year because it's not the summer. Great for MLS. But what it will also mean is that if you're Miles Robinson, you come off a fantastic MLS season, you go right into the World Cup, and you are like super high stock. Now, the only downside of that is presumably if that happens, you just get transferred right away and you go right into the middle of the season in Europe. So he doesn't, he's not going to get a break. Yeah. All right, Dave. We are at, <laughs> we are cranking here at one twenty five, and well, season finale. Season finale. The the other news that I just became aware of, like in the last twenty four hours, is that uh, the USL, who has done a good job of being a part of US soccer and and building a league that is kind of the second tier to MLS, where Atlanta United two is. They're a part of the what, what does USL stand for? U.S. Uh, Soccer League. Yeah. Um, so Atlanta United 2 is a part of USL. Um, evidently, the MLS has decided that they want to start their own league called MLS Next. I don't know if that's the proper... Uh, yeah, that's what they've called the Youth League for a while now. So MLS Next is going to be a league launching in March 2022 where... Uh, I, large number of teams that have affiliate MLS teams, but also teams that are not affiliated with MLS teams are going to belong to this MLS next league as 
a part of U.S. soccer and a part of uh, the overall divisions, which, Dave, you might be able to help me with. But the USL is going to stand on its own, and the MLS league, the MLS next league will be its new thing. Evidently, Atlanta United will be likely entering the MLS next into 2023, not this next season. It sounds like they'll pro- likely stay join. in the USL. They'll stay in the USL for one more into 2022. Okay. But it sounds like the the plan is for them to join this MLS Next League into 2023. As somebody who is in the depths of youth soccer and understanding the politics of U.S. soccer and mm-hmm. and youth development, I mean, it feels to me like MLS is taking a stance here that they want their own development league that they have more say in and control in given their growth with the MLS proper teams. And it feels like a good move to me. I don't know. Like this is from afar. No idea whether this is a good or bad thing, but it feels like a good thing. I think it's a good move from MLS standpoint in terms of having more control over their players. Um, You know, and that league will be a big boon to MLS. Um, It's only a negative if you were still holding out hope that eventually there was going to be a promotion relegation system because never going to happen being an independent, whatever those things are trying to push themselves and they would have been the natural clubs to go for that. NFL owners are never going to get regulated or uh, relegated, relegated, (laughs) regulated, regulators. (laughs) They're not going to be regulated or relegated. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. So So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Robert agree, Robert Kraft is not going to go down to a league where he has no financial gains. It's not going to happen, people. I agree. So I think it's a smart move. Yeah. Dave? Yep. What else do we have here on the final podcast in 2021, ATL on Fire? We've talked about a lot. I don't know if we've talked about it at all. Uh, you know, in this podcast tonight, we've talked about, you know, the season. We talked about the future. We talked about, you know, MLS. And, and so, yeah, we talked about it all. Um, I think, you know, I want to thank you, dear podcast listeners, for coming along for the ride. This has been our really defining season, I think. I mean, you know, where we've really um, found our rhythm, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, we've hoped that you enjoyed it. Yeah, so thanks for listening. Tell a friend, ATL on Fire, the podcast. We are on all the podcast catchers out there, and we are on YouTube as well, so you can look at our beautiful faces. We hope to come to you. By the fire. Yeah, and we hope to come to you next, maybe from the parking lot of a preseason game. Oh, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to have to figure out how to get power (laughs) to the roadcaster, but we'll figure it out. We'll do it. Maybe video, maybe not. Maybe just be audio. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great holiday season and a happy new year. Yeah, happy holiday. Cheers.